You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Super excited to bring you Greg Eisenberg today. He's the co-founder of Late Checkout, which is a product studio and agency that designs, creates, and acquires internet communities. Super excited about this topic. And I think we're going to jump all over the place. We're going to talk a little bit about, about Miami too, because the last person I interviewed was, I uh, actually just moved over to Miami as well, the, the founder of 8sleep. So Greg, I mean, welcome to the show first and foremost. Thanks. You know, privileged to be here. I think I first saw or, or heard of you when I was watching uh, one of Nathan Ladka's deal or bust and then you quickly jumped out. So, you know, just, we'll just looked into you a little more and there's not a lot of people that kind of focus on community. So can you tell us a little more about late checkout and then, you know, we'll start to talk about community a little bit. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, before I talk about late checkout, I think like the reason why we started late checkout was, you know, we think it's, this is the greatest time to be building community first businesses. It's not just that, you know, COVID is a thing and people are stuck in their homes and they're searching for community. Yes, they're searching for community and yes, people want connection and yes, technology helps do that. But I think there's a, it's even more than that. I think it's, it's, you know, something's in the air and, and there's a huge opportunity. There's an unbundling of Reddit happening right now. There's an unbundling of Facebook groups happening right now. And that's what Late Checkout does is we have a studio where we incubate community first products. We have an agency where we partner with leading brands and startups to help execute on community-first products. And then we have a fund where we look to acquire community-first businesses or businesses that we think could be community-first with a little bit of our help. Got it. Okay. That, that's awesome. So how does that all work? I, I guess, so, you know, obviously I'm with you, right? I think building the audience or more so than the audience community, because people are actually interacting with, with each other, that that's an unfair leverage point. So how do you value communities in, in general, right? Because with SaaS, obviously there's different multiples. How, how do you think about that? It's not super straightforward. The way I see community is it's, it's just a, community is a fancy word for retention and word of mouth, frankly. If you drive community, you're going to see your word of mouth go up like crazy because people are in this experience and they want to tell all their friends or at least the friends that are passionate about that particular topic and then retention. Like they're going to come back every single day because that's their safe place. I think that when you see a business that has super high retention and super high word of mouth, often and around a, a passion point, oftentimes it's community led business. So I think. You know, there's no exact science to like valuations of some of these businesses, but I will say that I feel, I do feel like they're undervalued across the board. Got it. What would be some good examples of community first businesses just so people can wrap their head around it? Totally. I would say like the one that comes to mind, because I was just talking to someone from there today is um, Glossier. So Glossier is a, I think a multi-billion dollar business or at least a billion dollar business today. And it started off with humble beginnings as a blog that was called Into the Gloss. Into the Gloss.com, where you know the founder would just write about beauty, uh, makeup, and things that really were passionate uh, that she was really passionate about. And she ended up kind of like organically in a really guerrilla way, you know, creating this almost like cult-like obsession with this blog. Once she created this community online, she basically was like, "Hey, what do I do with this?" And the beauty about community-led businesses is not only do you have a great idea around like 
what are the type of products that I can be building for this audience or community, you also have like your first set of customers. So if you do create something that's really, really awesome, you have them to talk about it and spread it, et cetera. So she launches Glossier. I forget the year. This is a few years ago. She launches it and it's, it's, it's an instant success. Um, people talking about it, industries talking about it. And it just, it just took off like wildfire. I mean, now there, there's retail operations. It's really everywhere. And I think that's just a great example of like, you know, pick a particular vertical, go really deep into it, create content that attracts those types of people, create spaces for them that allows them to communicate with one another. And then, you know, ultimately think about how you can monetize it. Yeah, I love that. So it, it sounds like, I mean, it's it's kind of reversed from what people are used to, right? It's like, oh, create the business first, you know, and then, you know, figure out how to get attention. But this is like, get the attention first and then figure out kind of what the community wants and you can build around that, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, let's let's use Casper as an example. Like Casper is a, you know, a mattress company. I, I, I bring them up because you had the Eight Sleep uh, founder on, so... Uh, we can, or we can use them, you know, I think like, well, we'll just use Casper for, you know, we'll use Casper for now. So Casper, you know, they spent years kind of perfecting mattress technology, you know, it's not exactly hard. I think one of the co-founders got like his PhD in, in like, in like elastics and stuff like that. I think it's, a, you know, a very difficult process. It took them years. We had to raise, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to do it. You know, they obviously built a big business, but it's hard. You know, what would have been easier is to build initially the audience. So you think about, okay, what is an audience I can be building that could ultimately get me to this, you know, potential, like I'm going to build a mattress company. So for example, it's like, I don't know, a newsletter around wellness, something like that, where you can bring people together. You start with the audience. So maybe you start with that, you know, wellness newsletter, and then you create, you know, maybe a discord server where people could chat about, you know, tips and tricks and stuff like that. And then ultimately you build the product. So my point in saying that is it's way easier to create an audience and or a community than it is to create a product. I'm with you. And so what's interesting, I, I think I'm looking at kind of the late checkout, right? So you have the product studio and it's not like you're trying to have, you know, a ton of employees, right? And then the agency. So let's talk about the business model first. Like, you know, how do, how do those two go hand in hand with the product studio and the agency? Totally. I mean, I think the way we see it is like, we have this mandate where we want to basically create community led businesses and how we go about doing that changes based on our different business models. So for example, like, you know, our agency partners, like we work with, you know, companies like TikTok or WW who was formerly Weight Watchers and company, you know, public.com, like companies like that. And we help them think about, you know, transitioning to some, you know, this new, you know, business model of community-led businesses. And we do design sprints for them to help them figure that out. So, you know, on that end, we're taking, you know, the business model there is like services. We take a little margin. And oftentimes when it's startups, we'll take a little bit of equity as well. And then when we build our own products, we're self-funding it. And the business model is more of a traditional, like, you know, you're building a company, maybe it generates some profits. So for example, like we have a business called NiceBreak, uh, NiceBreak.fun, which basically is virtual experiences for teams. So like if you have a team and you want to do like, like hanging out with like an improv class or hang out, you know, just 
everyone's at home. So it's just better than a Zoom happy hour. And it's really taken off and it's starting to, to, to throw off like some cash. You know, that business might, we, we might just, you know, dividend out the profits or we might spin it out, raise venture capital. And it's a traditional model. Got it. Makes sense. And and so when I'm looking at your journey, I mean, you know, previously you're founder CEO of Five Buy and in another company called Islands. So Islands was acquired by WeWork and then Five Buy by StumbleUpon. And so, you know, I'm assuming these companies, and I, I think I was just looking at the crunch bases, you've had more team members, right? So I think it's it feels like you're being a lot more intentional about how you want this business to be set up. True or false? And what's the reasoning? True. I think... Um... I never even considered that this was a reality is, is the honest answer. Like I never even thought that this was a possibility. I'm having more fun now than I've ever had in any of my businesses. I think just because I've been able to be very creative in this model. And I, and I've really found out that like through, through the years that like, this is what I'm good at and this is what I want to be doing. You know, my advice to people listening is just because people, you know, it's like that movie, uh, what's it called? The social network. It's like, that's like what people think about as like a traditional Silicon Valley journey. And I, and I think there's other, there's other models out there. There's, there's models like product studios. is a really viable model. Starting your own fund is a viable model, stuff like that. And yeah, I've been intentional because of uh, having learned, but you know, yeah, I have been intentional. Cool. And can you define just in your own words, what does product studio mean? Cause that's a fairly new term, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a new term for technology, but I think, you know, it's an old term in other verticals. Like if you think of like the Disney corporation, like Disney was a product studio, like they created IP, intellectual property. Um, and, you know, it started with Mickey Mouse, but then they went to Goofy and then they went to like, you know, the Lion King and et cetera, et cetera. And they created this IP that they own. And then they would create experiences around those, that IP. With product studio and technology, it's a very similar concept where, you know, we come up with, you know, an idea every single month, we create this IP, we launch it, we distribute it, we get feedback. And it's, uh, it's not, you know, the traditional model in the sense that like, you raise money for, you know, a D to C beverage company, and like, you're kind of like stuck doing D to C beverage for the next 10 years until there's an exit. It's just, you're working on different things. You have different teams and in different spaces. Got it. And then the whole idea here is obviously if someone, you know, one of the products takes off, you kind of, you might spin it off into its own thing and then build a team around it. Is that kind of how it is? Yeah, exactly. So if, if we see a, you know, we, they start off as ideas and then they turn out in projects and projects turn into, you know, companies and then hopefully big companies. Uh, we, we, we basically have these metrics for the, for the businesses, um, as they, as they change and, and as they kind of, as we learn about what's working and what's not. And then, uh, we ultimately spin out the ones that we think are doing well as separate companies. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I think it makes total sense. And so, you know, going back to communities for a second, you know, I, I think historically, uh, you know, I was just talking to a, a buddy, um, you know, he, he works at HubSpot and he's got a pretty thriving Slack community. And he was just telling me, you know, one of the problems they face is, is around kind of retention, right? Especially if it's like a Slack community where it's like, it's, it's very fleeting. And so, you know, how do you think about delighting customers in the first one to three months of, of joining a community? Do you have any frameworks or thoughts about that in general? And do you see that as a problem? 
I mean, the framework I use is really like step one is become a cultural anthropologist in the sense of like, go into the subreddit, go into the Slack community, go into the Facebook group and just like listen and be among the community and really understand like who they are, what they want and what are they saying, but what are they not saying? Once you've done that, I think the next step is can existing products support that experience that you want to create? And I think what you learn like 80% of the time is that oftentimes is that basically like the slacks of the world are not designed for the use case of what you're trying to build. And the best communities are actually purpose built for particular use cases. So I think it's very easy for people to fall into the trap of just like using a Slack community, getting people, and then just trying to get people on and, and trying to stimulate. Yeah, it, it works sometimes, but I actually think that often, oftentimes what works better is these like bespoke purpose-built experiences. Got it. So what would be like an example? Because I mean, I, I know for, for this guy's group, you know, he'll send the t-shirt or there might be like a, you know, really unique guest, you know, once a month. Is there anything tactically that people can, can take from this? I mean, I think there's a ton, like little things that make a big difference is like in introducing members to uh, one another and, and being like the link to create friendships. A big reason why people join a community, even though they say they're joining it for yoga or they say they're joining it for to be among like PC gamers or whatever, is actually because they're lonely and they're looking for connection. And if you could be the reason why the connection incurs and you could facilitate it, people will not only come back, but they'll feel indebted to your service and they'll feel indebted to you and they'll do everything they can to support, to support you and to, to talk about it. So I think, I think welcoming, welcoming people and, and connecting them is an underrated, is very underrated as one, one tactic. Got it. Okay, great. And so, you know, let's talk about Miami for a second. So you've been there for six months. We talked about it pre-show. So, you know, what's your take on it? There's a lot of people, tech people migrating there. What's your overall, you know, take on it? And you have to rate it on a scale of one to 10. I mean, my overall take is Silicon. I mean, I used to live in, you know, the Bay Area for like eight years. So I did that and it's a new world. You know, you can live wherever you want now, which is really, really dope. And, you know, what do I, I want to live in Miami because I like going to, you know, waking up and like going into the beach and I like being on the East coast and I like Miami and I think the Cuban coffee is really good. And I like how it looks and I like the aesthetics and I like the colors. So I like it here. I mean, it's for me, it's like best case scenario for lots of people. They probably don't like it, you know? So I think like the key here is you don't need the, the important thing to note is you can live wherever you want to live and like find your Miami, like it's basically like find your Miami, go live wherever you can and wherever, you know, makes you happy. So from a one to one to 10 for me, like what is Miami? It's, it's a, it's a 12 on 10. Wow. Um, for, yeah, for others, like it might be a two on 10. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's, what's funny. It's, and so, you know, pretty sure I was just saying like, yeah, we had the founder of eight sleep and you know, he just moved there. It's been a year and he rates it a nine cause he doesn't give tens. You're giving it a 12. And then my other buddy who moved there from New York, it's, it's like a 10 for him too. And I, I pre COVID I was going once every quarter and I'm going there next week for at least 30 days, if not 60 or 90. 
And so, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, it, again, to, to Greg's point, your mileage may vary. I think it's good to experiment. And then to, to Greg's point, again, find your community, right? Find your Miami. That's what it is. Greg, just a couple more questions from my side. Tactically, again, so what's one business tool that you can't live without? I mean, we really like redditlist.com at late checkout, which is kind of random, but it's basically this like website that shows you trending subreddits. Love that tool. I think it's awesome. I think it's really important to to understand what's trending in order in order to find out what communities to build. So I, I gotta say that. And then my bonus to that is Notion. Okay. Like our our business is built on top of Notion. We love it. I love it. I use it. I mean, I started using it just to like take notes, and then it's just morphed into like a full on wiki and and more. Yeah, love Notion. And so just out of curiosity, where are you going? You just mentioned Reddit list. Where else are you going to source these communities? You don't need to give your secret sauce, but I just want people to start to think about how do I find them? Am I sourcing them myself? Am I, what am I doing exactly? So, Step one for me is always redditlist.com because I mean, Reddit is, is really just a goldmine for what is happening on the internet and what are memes and trends that are happening. And when I, whenever I see memes and trends, I just see it as an opportunity to build places for these people. So, I mean, that's the secret sauce, honestly. The secret sauce for me has been just being, understanding how Reddit works and understanding what's trending and what's not. And then once I do that, it's just, you know, step two is really just like join those communities, start commenting, start trying to understand it, and then building products using, we, you know, we start with no code tools to just like, put something out there and, and see what sticks. Got it. I love it. And then what is your favorite business book? Favorite business book. The most influential business book in my life was a book called the world is flat by I think Milton Friedman. And I read it in like, like 2004, I think 2003, I was like a teenager and it like changed my life. I was like, what do you mean? Like the world is flat. Like that concept just like, change how I think about things. Um, so that was number one. The bonus to that is definitely Scott Belsky's The Messy Middle, which just talks about like, you know, you know, using the example that I used earlier on the social network and how like, you know, it's interesting in that film, they basically like show the beginnings of like Facebook at Harvard. And then like, all of a sudden, it's like the biggest company in the world, but it doesn't talk about like, what actually happens between like A to Z which is the messy middle and is arguably what most of the startup journey is. Um, so that book really, I think puts vocabulary to what the startup journey looks like. I love that. All right. Final question from my side. What's the most compelling thing that you've read, watched, or listened to recently? Read, watched, or listened. I've been enjoying recently the My First Million podcast with uh, Sam Parr and Sean Puri. Really like just like the structure of the of the podcast. They're just talking about, you know, ideas and stuff like that. And I really enjoy that. I've been spending a lot of time on Clubhouse um, in the last like four days, just like spending like 30 minutes a day and just like hopping on. And like, as I'm going for a walk, it's like, okay, make a room, talk about startup ideas. So follow me uh, on Clubhouse. It's at Greg. If anyone wants to just talk to me there, because I've been oh, doing that almost daily. Got the Greg. Um, Amazing. 
I got the Greg. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know, and the most compelling conversation is just like people that I met on clubhouse, honestly. And just like, Whoa, you know, you you live in like Southern India and you have this startup and it's actually so cool. And you're 17 years old, you know? So conversations have been amazing. I mean, I'm spending too much time on it. I'm spending 20 to 30 hours a week on it. I, I just followed you. Um, but clubhouse has been amazing. So anyway, Greg, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? I guess just my Twitter at Greg Eisenberg, G-R-E-G-I-S-E-N-B-E-R-G. And uh, I guess now on Clubhouse at Greg. Awesome. Greg, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. Appreciate it. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.